Welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. Today, we're going to be talking about the vaccine. Who is getting it? When can we get it? And what has been going on with the rollout? Joining us on this episode, Justin Hicks and Emily Lawler. Emily, who becomes the first three-time guest of Behind the Headlines. I hope you dig the podcast. All right, let's jump into it. As always, my co-host and vice president of content for MLive, John Heiner. John, how are you today? I'm great. I've spent the whole morning trying to figure out if it's Monday or Tuesday, and I finally arrived that it is Tuesday. Um, and just another week in January. Thousands of people descending on Washington, D.C. today. What could go wrong? Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things about this fall is the whole year of 2020 was... Uh, consumed by the coronavirus pandemic and the effects on our society and individuals and business and so forth. And then as the fall came, of course, the tension shifted to the election um, and the unprecedented events of the last few weeks have, have really, of course, drawn a lot of attention. But amid that, you know, on the day they stormed the Capitol, the U.S. set a record for deaths, daily deaths in coronavirus uh, uh, from the virus. It, you know, it's some states, most states are, I think over 30 states are surging um, every state's had a little bit, bit of a different experience, but this is amid the backdrop of a couple of the vaccines being rolled out. <clears throat> Last week, MLive reporters Emily Lawler and Justin Hicks from our statewide team hosted a Facebook Live with Governor Whitmer, uh, her chief operating officer and our chief medical officer for the state, where they discussed uh, the federal and state response and coordination or lack thereof on the distribution of uh, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. It was extremely informative. And of course, we'll link to that, that Facebook Live. Um, and then like before the ink was even dry on that, that interview, that Facebook Live interview came the announcement that for average residents, and when I say average, I mean those who don't have underlying health conditions or essential workers or over 65, people like me and you, Eric, um, we're probably gonna have to wait till August uh, to get a shot in the arm which was, was uh, sort of a sobering reality um, of where we stand with the vaccine distribution. Lots of questions concerning that. So today with, with Emily and Justin on, I thought we'd break down what people can expect. And, you know, just to be getting to the practical, practical level, I've actually gotten calls from uh, personal acquaintances who said, I have a, you know, mother in a nursing home is 80, or I have a, you know, my grandfather can you help me? Cause you're in the media. <laughs> Can you help me get a vaccine, get them to the front of the line? Cause people are hearing stories about people who don't fit one of the qualifying groups, getting vaccines and so forth. So lots of, uh, lots of questions, lots of concerns and, and, and perhaps even misinformation out there. So, um, before we even kick it off, though, I want to say my favorite news source, of course, is MLive.com. Um, my second favorite might be the onion. And they had a they had a, a headline yesterday that said, "Nation enters new phase of vaccine distribution where Capricorns, gymnasts, childish uncles now available uh, eligible for inoculation." So, <laughs> I think that sums up some of the confusion about who can get vaccinated when and, and that sort of thing. With that, I'd like to just turn it over to Justin, who's our public health reporter on our statewide team. Justin, how did we go from the interview with the governor? which I thought was uh, very rationally explaining what was happening to, you know, finding out in, within 24 hours that A, the federal government had either been wrong or lied about the, the vaccine stores that they had. And then second, that the state was going to have to push back inoculations for, as I said, uh, non-qualifying people. 
Good question. Well, the the latter point you made first, um, I think they they announced the the timeline adjustment first, um, and I think a large part of that is the initial planning back in November and December. The state was expecting, so they say, to receive about three hundred thousand vaccines per week, and as we've seen over the first five, six weeks of this rollout, they were getting more like 60,000 a week. Um, the, the Pfizer vaccine was going to the state, whereas the Moderna vaccine was um, going, uh, surpassing the state, uh, bypassing the state and going through the, the pharmacies, the CVS and the Walgreens to long-term care facilities. And so um, basically the state thought they were gonna get more vaccines than they have. And so that's kind of adjusted the timeline um, I think they still are hoping that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the third vaccine, which is only a one dose shot, uh, comes on board next month or the month after, and then they can increase the timeline. But uh, this is kind of where they stand now, as you, as you mentioned, that the uh, general public won't be seeing the vaccine until later than initially expected. And then as for the, the Federal Reserve, I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, it, governor Whitmer was one of nine state governors that sent out to the health department saying, please release these second doses that um, you're holding back three and four weeks for folks who get their first dose and then need their second dose. Um, we could use those to get more people their first vaccine and then we'll, we'll get the second dose when, when it's needed. And then we learned late last week that that reserve may not exist. So, very bizarre uh, how that kind of what Azar was kind of like, oh, I was wrong or I forgot or whatever. Um, I don't know, but maybe that kind of symbolizes or epitomizes the lack of coordination and confusion around getting these distributed. And, and Emily, how much of the politics of this were injected into? Um, and pardon the pun there, but into the process and how much of it was just bureaucracy? You know, it's hard to say, um, but I do think that certainly, um, you know, Governor Whitmer has uh, pulled politics into this. Um, you know, obviously she was one of the first governors nationally to criticize the um, the federal government's response or um, lack of a coordinated response to the coronavirus crisis. Um, she has carried that as a badge of honor. I think when I talked to her in December, um, she basically pointed out that she hadn't been wrong, <laughs> that that continues to uh, plague us, including through this vaccine rollout. So, um, you know, I don't think that that it's devoid of politics in, in any sense, but I, I do think there's room for better bureaucracy, frankly. We saw uh, through some national reporting, just sort of the, the flaws in um, how the government had handled Operation Warp Speed, um, you know, the, the failure to reported failure by the New York Times to lock in more doses um, uh, that they could have had access to and sort of uh, failed to, to uh, secure. Didn't those end up going to Europe? Um, or yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think certainly there's some room for, for people who are hoping that, um, you know, the Biden administration will change enough things uh, in the bureaucratic realm that we could speed up vaccine distribution um, and maybe overcome some of these initial hurdles, confusions, um, misreportings. I, I'm not really sure what, what caused the disconnect 
with the uh, the issue you mentioned with those reserve vaccines. In in normal times, um, I mean, how much has the state, Justin, had to ramp up its bureaucracy, frankly, to deal with this? Did they have the capacity from a government standpoint, a governing standpoint, to handle a crisis? This wasn't like it just happened in August or November. It started in March, and the talk of the vaccines started shortly after that. Uh, they knew it, that Pfizer was working on theirs. You could watch the FDA approval processes like the Johnson & Johnson. So it isn't like it just they call you Monday morning and say, hey, we got vaccines. So was the state prepared for this? And there's a lot of finger pointing going on. I'm not sure how much of the blame game is important here at, 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 rather than getting these things out to people. But what was the state's state of readiness for the, the vaccine rollout? And and how much of this, frankly, is is on the state versus the federal government? So those are some of the questions that we asked the, the state leaders when we had them on the Facebook Live last week. Uh, and the general consensus from Governor Whitmer and from the folks who are, are leading the health department uh, is we had a good plan. Uh, we had health departments and we had hospitals and, and they were all coming up with their local plans uh, to, to roll out the vaccine. Um, and we had this priority group that was healthcare workers, but the vaccine became available when Michigan was surging with its cases and we had more hospitalizations due to COVID than any other time this year and cases were rising and we, we saw you know, stricter restrictions be put into place by the governor and the, the health department to try to slow the spread. And so the folks who were charged with administering shots and receiving the shots first were already overwhelmed with working overtime at the hospitals. So that kind of caused a slower rollout um, because I think uh, um, one of the folks we talked to had mentioned, you know, it might be their uh, a healthcare workers one day off in a two three week span, and you're asking them to go get a vaccine that may have side effects of them having a fever or body aches for the next day or two when they're supposed to be back working in the ER, and so uh, just that idea of, of having them add the vaccine on top of everything that they were dealing with kind of led to a slow start to begin with. Uh, whether or not the, the state could have planned better or whether the federal government could have planned the rollout better, um, I think those are fair questions. Uh, and there does there is a lot of finger pointing when we ask, you know, what could the state have done better? Um, they, they go back on, you know, we had a good plan, rollout was a little slow, but it's picking up steam, so. I would say that within the state bureaucracy too, uh, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services has always had public health as part of its core mission. Uh, and then back before them, the Department of Community Health, I remember covering them before they uh, combined into one mega department. Um, but, you know, if you think back to the Flint water crisis, it wasn't until the middle of the Flint water crisis when we made the chief medical executive, Eden Wells at the time, was part time and Snyder made her a full time employee. Um, so I think that, you know, we've we've sort of seen the, the state ramp up staffing in that area um, in public health, going back to at least the, the Flint water crisis. And it seems like the state really does have a, a good wealth of resources they can pull from um, to, to help address the crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, Emily, is there any evidence of politics, state and the state level, or the, uh, you know, the intramural fight between state and federal 
that have delayed or somehow impacted the rollout of vaccines? Or is that mostly noise? It's hard to tell. It's hard for me to say. Um, you know, I think that, I think part of the evidence that perhaps there's just some logistical challenges that would exist regardless of what parties were aware um, is the governors banding together with regional governors in the Midwest. Um, she's been writing letters with these people. She's been meeting with them, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, she's boasted about her relationship with Ohio Governor uh, Mike DeWine. Um, and basically, they're, they're trying to tackle this together, which tells me that it's a, a little bit um, less of a political issue and more of a logistical issue on, on some of these things, at least. Yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned the word logistical because I was going there next with the logistics of this. Um, you know, people who live in Portage get to watch the trucks roll out with the vaccine. <laughs> and if you're not in a qualifying group, uh, you know, you're going to have to wait your turn. doesn't matter uh, the proximity to where they're making. Uh, but Michigan's a very big state. The Pfizer vaccine has to be deeply refrigerated. I read somewhere that these special freezers could cost $27,000. And you're talking about a rural hospital, maybe in Northern Michigan or the UP. Is that a factor in how we can get the vaccine to people? Uh, and the other is what I'm hearing is in small communities, like say, uh, let's just take Detroit for an example. If they get 100,000 doses, you're not gonna have a problem finding 100,000 arms. But to try, how do you try to calibrate this um, and, and have this, this like really coordinated smooth landing when you have communities where hospitals have six beds or, or whatever, I mean, how does that work in Justin? Well, well so uh, I think they're trying to hit it a kind of multi-pronged approach. There's the idea of these um, mass vaccination clinics and, and maybe even drive-through clinics that they're trying to get up and running and, and plan for. Um, I, I think part of the reason why we heard the governor expand the group of eligible uh, residents for the vaccine at this point is because they wanted more people in each um, region to be eligible for the vaccine because when they get doses, they want to go through them as fast as they can. And the governor mentioned that basically what they've been told from the, the feds is the first states to run out of vaccines are going to be the first ones back in line for more. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and by opening it up to more uh, folks to the 65 and older crowd to you know, school staff and to first responders. Uh, their, their goal was let's, let's run out of vaccines faster and um, that will allow them to um, get more people to get more shots and arms faster. Now that you are right that those, those freezers, not everybody has them. And uh, the, the Pfizer vaccine especially has to be kept so cold that it, it does make it harder logistically to, to get that up to uh, maybe local small health departments up in Northern Michigan that don't, don't have that capability. Um, but there's over 1200 uh, enrolled providers now in this program. And whether it's the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, they're, they're getting them and they're, they're each coming up with their own system to get it rolled out. You guys see this, you, you cover this every day. Uh, if it should make sense to anybody, it should make sense to you, at least the parts that make sense of this. What can you tell the readers who are confused about this? And there are many, and I'm, I'm a little confused. All I'm going by is 
my pharmacist, both my pharmacist and my, uh, my, my doctor or the health system that my doctor works for sent me email saying, be patient. We'll let you know when it's your turn. So I'm, I'm just kind of trusting that I'm not going around, um, with the lantern in my hand, looking for a clinic that will give me a shot. So I'm just going to wait, um, and wear my mask and socially distance. But from where you sit, what can you tell people about the, how this, the order of this is working? Uh, what's the effectiveness so far of how the system is working? Good question. So uh, you're right that, um, so essentially you can go to the state website and you can find your health department and click on their website and it'll either tell you that, yes, we are, we're filling vaccine appointments right now, or no, we're not yet, but here's a, a waiver or here's a, a questionnaire, fill it out. Let me know if you're interested. Let me know kind of what your eligibility is phase wise and we'll get you put in line. We'll reach out to you when we can get you an appointment. Um, and so, so folks can kind of start doing that now. Um, your, your pharmacist, your local doctor, they know your, your health background. They know if you're, you're, you fall in that kind of 1B eligibility versus 1C versus the, the general public. And so talking to your doctor and talking to your pharmacist will also help you get a sense of how to get in line um, and it, it kind of going to, every region is going to be a little different. And that's, that's kind of the tough part is there really isn't an easy one, two, three step plan. Uh, it kind of depends on where you live and, you know, Detroit's got uh, more capability than, than somewhere in Northern Michigan. And so it's going to be a little different, but if you kind of stay in touch with your local doctor, if you have one, uh, your pharmacy and, and also your keep checking your, your local health department, you'll have a better sense of, what your region is doing. Help me out here for the people who have contacted me personally and said, I have an 80 year old in a nursing home who can't get a shot. Why, why would that be so? So there's a, a federal program that using shots to long-term care facilities, to nursing homes, both residents and staff. Um, and, and those, those shots are going um, straight to CVS, to Walgreens, and they're being stored in, in a bank. Uh, of their doses. And essentially every week they're scheduling clinics to go to these, these nursing homes and to administer shots to whoever, whoever wants them. Um, there is some logistical questions when it comes to uh, you have to, in some cases, residents need family to uh, sign off saying that they want the vaccine. You may have some hesitance. I, mean, I don't think every person you, you meet in a nursing home is going to say, yes, I want a vaccine. And so you need to figure out who wants it, make sure that, uh, you know, they sign off on it or their family does. And, and then it's just a matter of getting to each and every uh, nursing home facility. Um, and if you go to the state vaccine dashboard, they actually have a table that says, you know, how many facilities are assigned for scheduling each week um, and, and how many doses have been given out so far. Do you have any sense of how the essential worker and teaching ranks, because those were uh, categories that they wanted to hit, how penetration of inoculations has gone so far with that? They, they don't really have a breakdown of data to know. Um, you know I've seen, uh, personally, I've seen some teacher friends of mine post photos that they've gotten their first vaccine. Um, same thing with healthcare workers. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately uh, other frontline workers like grocery store workers, they were initially considered kind of that 1B category and that they're not up for eligibility yet. 
Um, and so I've, I've even seen some folks who they work from home. Uh, they, they don't have front facing jobs, but they're tied to health insurance or to, to uh, the medical field and they've gotten their vaccines. Um, and so it, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, it does seem like at times somebody who shouldn't be a top priority has gotten it. Um, but I think the goal at this point has shifted from these very set priority groups to just let's get as many shots in arms as possible. And uh, that'll be the fastest way we can get to, to a herd immunity sense. It, it yeah. strikes me as sort of a free-for-all we haven't admitted to at this point. Um, just because there's not any really checks in place. You know, if I if I say, whatever, I'm a priority group, I'm a something someone that's eligible right now, if I check that box on my county's form, as far as I'm aware, that's anything I would, that's all I would have to do, right? And even like on our live recently, we asked about, um, we had reader questions about if you have to get vaccinated in your home county, or if you can kind of county shop for someone who has vaccines available. And it, you know, the answer was sort of like, we prefer you get vaccinated in your home county, but I'm not really clear what is in place to stop people from crossing county lines if they want to. Um, and then I would say just like the, the employer, question, right? Like, I, I feel like the employers who have fought for this are getting it for their employees. Mm -hmm. So even people who, as Justin said, have been working from home from an industry that's considered essential or connected um, in some way are, are getting priority for the vaccines and are, are getting, you know, sort of their, their arms are in line <laughs> before, before others, it seems. So, uh, you know, they established all these priority groups, but I really, I question how meaningful they are at this point. Mm -hmm. I, there has been some backlash in social media where people who work, who are not, don't fit one of the priority groups have put a picture and said, Hey, look, I got vaccinated. And, you know, they're in their thirties and they're healthy and people are give you know, backlash like, Hey, wait a minute. That should go in some 80 year olds arm, you know? But I, I think we need to be careful about like shame, vaccine shaming because like if you, I think the goal is to get them into arms. And I imagine if you were at a hospital and you had a clinic and some people didn't show up and you had some doses, you might as well give them to a healthcare worker or a healthy person. And I was at CVS in the fall um, and the woman at the pharmacy said, hey, you want a flu shot? And I'm like, uh, they said it's free. And I went, uh, and they said, we'll give you a $20 coupon for shopping. I said, okay. <laughs> so I got my flu shot. If I was at CVS and they said, would you like a vaccine? I wouldn't say, no, take that to a nursing home and, you know, down the road and give it to, I'd say, sure, I, I get the vaccine. Um, I also, the backdrop is according to polls I've seen about 40% of Americans say they don't want the vaccine. So, you know, I think that's a little complicated. Um, and I think to your point, um, uh, Emily, it might be foolish or impossible to think that we could, you know, have this be orderly, you know, uh, like some kind of uh, robotically trained socialistic country where we all get in line and take our turns and stuff. I think the the speed that they're trying to get this out there um, and all these different companies and, the, and the, the coordination between state and federal when it hasn't been great anyways and other matters kind of all have coming together and this is the result we get. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And um, it's, it's just, you know, you watch these these groups get established and it, it does seem like, um, you know, there's been this semblance of order or they at least have priorities. But 
um, you know, I think that as they open up more and more groups, it's going to be more like you described too, where, um, you know, whatever arms are in line can, can get a vaccine. So. Right. So what's next, Justin, here in the state? Uh, you mentioned the Johnson & Johnson. That, I think that's either at or about to go to the FDA for, for review. Um, so what's next in vaccine development for Michigan? Yeah, so, so the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, uh, from everything I've read, is, is next in line. Uh, they're, they're one, uh, phase one and two um, studies have been very promising in their results. Uh, it's a one-dose vaccine. Uh, which is, is great when you think of the, the big picture. Uh, it's, it's tough enough trying to get the first dose to everybody with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, but also you're scheduling out second doses. You're trying to keep you know record of these folks have to come back and get a second one. So we can't just get rid of all of our stock um, or we need to get, we need to, to expect there'll be more coming. Whereas with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, um, it looks like one dose is enough um, to uh, give 90 to 100 percent of folks uh, antibodies within x number of weeks uh, or days after the the shot so um i think they expect phase three data to be available uh, by the end of january early february and from there they'll apply to the fda for emergency youth authorization and they'll go through the kind of same process that pfizer and moderna went through so uh, i think the the hope is come february um, we'll, we'll see that third vaccine come online and uh, that they'll be able to take off from there. The, the U.S. government already has contracts with um, to purchase Johnson & Johnson as well as AstraZeneca and, and the other vaccines. So um, they're kind of, they're purchased and, and they're ready. It's just a matter of getting through the, the rest of the trials to prove they're safe and effective and then get that authorization from the FDA. And then the last question I have for you related to this is the numbers were surging, the post Thanksgiving surge we saw, um, I think nationally there's been a post Christmas, but the numbers have tapering slightly in Michigan in the oh, last absolutely. week or yeah, two. So, is there so, any so, evidence that, 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 that the vaccine is, is having any effect on, on transmission rates? I haven't, I haven't seen any connections to that. I think it's probably too soon to say. I haven't heard anybody point to the decline as, as being tied to the vaccine, uh, though obviously the, the more people that have it, uh, if, if, uh, the, the better. Um, we're, we've seen um, vaccine numbers increase quite a bit in the last week or so. Um, we're looking at, over the last seven days, almost 30,000 shots per day. We were looking at about 19,000 per day the, the week prior. So we are we are gaining speed there. Um, and we have seen our, our cases go down quite a bit, um, whether that has to do with the, the tighter restrictions, um, you know, leading up in November and December, because um, we've seen the decline since December, mid-December. Um, but our, our seven-day averages right now are the the lowest for cases we've seen since mid-October and for deaths, the uh, I think mid-November was the last time we saw them this low. So we're seeing those numbers decline. Hospitalizations have declined. Um, and, and so the folks I spoke with late last week in uh, infectious disease basically said they are optimistic that we avoided a holiday surge, um, but we could still see things go back up, especially with this new, more contagious variant being found in Michigan now. 
and with with folks going back to school, uh, both college and, and K through 12. So uh, not out of the woods yet, but uh, numbers are definitely looking much better than they were a month ago or so. And I think Michigan was actually uh, bottom five in cases per per day per 100,000 residents uh, over yeah. the last week. So that's pretty been pretty I good. I want to see. pivot off something you mentioned was nest restrictions. And uh, Emily, the governor, extended the, the dine-in bans, um, school, some schooling, in-person schooling um, is, is now back in session. Just could you give us a quick update on uh, what you see from where you sit about the restrictions themselves, the likelihood that they'll be extended again? And, you know, I've seen a, a little less political furor over these. Uh, are, is politically the opposition to this waning or is it just people are getting used to it or, or what's happening politically with the restrictions? Um. I think that there's a recognition that um, the restrictions have worked, right? So we, in November, uh, pushed pause essentially on um, indoor dining, uh, some activities like casinos, movie theaters, um, and then also the um, in-person secondary instruction. So um, for high schools, basically. Um, and, you know, we pushed pause on all these things and our numbers have gone down, um, even during the holiday season, which we were um, considering as a pretty big risk factor with people getting together, small family gatherings, um, sort of where we're seeing spread nationally right now. Um, so, you know, I think it's hard for um, people to look at our numbers over the last uh, few months and say that those haven't had an effect. Um, uh, but basically, all that remains closed from that is um, indoor restaurants. That's not entirely true. Like nightclubs are also closed. <laughs> but, um, you know, the biggest sector of our economy that remains closed um, is indoor dining. And, you know, that's that's killer for restaurants. I mean, they've been very upset by that. But the the other reality they're confronting is that People aren't comfortable going to many people aren't comfortable going to restaurants, even if they were open. So, you know, it's not like they're looking at 100 percent of normal profit scenario versus takeout only. They're looking at maybe, you know, 25 or 50 percent of a normal profit scenario versus takeout only. But the next date on the horizon for them is February 1st. Um, the governor said she's uh, reconsidering it at that point. Um, the current order goes through January 31st. So I think a lot of restaurants are looking at that as sort of the please let us open by then date. Yeah, I saw a chart last week and I've got it in front of me right here of uh, the, the rolling seven day infection averages post Christmas and Florida up 34%, Texas 39%, Georgia 116%, Alabama 203%, and Michigan was minus 22. And I think, you know, I hate to say one piece of data is evidence of anything, but the restrictions, as much as people push against them, do have the effect of keeping people away from people and, and, and lowering the, the rates of transmission. Um, I am not a doctor, so <laughs> I'm not a politician either, but um, the numbers seem to bear out that the states that have had the restrictions and been consistent with them do not have as high of transmission rates. So anything next on the horizon politically from the loyal opposition, Emily, or is this, have we settled all of the, um, you know, the, the rules of engagement over what Whitmer's allowed to do with her staff and what the legislature is going to do? Well, we are approaching a uh, important annual kickoff, which is the state of the state address that uh, the governor's 
expected to deliver virtually on January 27th. That's typically where she lays out her policy priorities and the legislature says, um, wait a second, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> uh, but comes back with some ideas of their own. So I think we'll have a better idea of that whole dynamic, especially because we have a new House Speaker. Um, Jason Wentworth has taken over for Lee Chatfield. Um, obviously, Whitmer uh, still has a Republican-led legislature that she has partnered with, but I think that that dynamic could shift a little bit because the players have shifted a little bit, and we'll have to see where that lands. Partnered with is a charitable verb there, so. <laughs> you're, you're right. Partnered, sparred. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'd too with a chain. Um, anyways, hey, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Justin Hicks, Emily Lawler, thanks for joining us on this Tuesday morning. And uh, thank you, Eric, for hosting. Appreciate it. And there they go. A huge thanks to Justin Hicks and Emily Lawler for joining us today to break down what is happening with the vaccine and perhaps when we might all see it and have it available. As always, if you like what we're doing, like, review, and share the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For now, I'm Eric Halkrin. He is John Heiner. And this is Behind the Headlines.